Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Radio with Jamie and Emily. And today, Emily's here, and we have a fabulous guest host. We're so excited to be on the show today, and it is Lenedra Carroll. And Lenedra is among many things, and I can't wait to hear more about what you've been up to. Uh, The woman who authored one of my favorite books, The Architecture of All Abundance, and she's also the founder of the nonprofit Higher Ground for Humanity. And uh, Lenedra also developed and managed the career of the artist Jewel, who is also um, Lenedra's daughter. So we're uh, we're really thrilled to have you on the show. Welcome. Here I am. I'm really <laughs> glad to be here. Yay. Well, I love your book, and I'm looking forward to many conversations with you about your approach to life. And... Uh, one of the reasons we invited you on the show today uh, is because um, of your chapter on the architecture of health and your approach to health as a woman and especially bringing in from the wealth psychology perspective the whole idea of um, women and our wealth and our health coming together and how uh, we can have tremendous access to resources, abundance, um, make sure that we have our hair appointments scheduled, our nail appointments, our facials, having all of our having ourselves look really beautiful and great on the outside, and we may not necessarily be feeling quite as empowered or as engaged with our um, internal health until something happens. And then a lot of emotions can come up and uh, can keep us from really being as effective as we can. And you have some really remarkable stories to share about that. And I would say our goal for this show today for our listeners is to uh, support you around the emotional components around health and how to develop and trust your intuition when it comes to your decision-making around your health and healing. So welcome. And Renedra, I want to just check in and find out how are you? How are you doing? You've been off the radar for a while. I have. I I went off the radar into quite another world, I think we could say. In 2008, I decided to divest myself of everything and just go on a walkabout. I headed out all over the world. I I really wanted to answer some spiritual questions for myself and to bring that focus and perhaps a, an entirely new set point for myself back into my operation in the world of the success and finances and um, all the other levels of abundance. Oh, my gosh. So when you say walkabout, you mean you walked away from everything you owned and, and just started walking? Like, was there a plan? Was there... Um, Yes, um, my life conspired to expose to me that that was the thing that at that time I cared about most was really understanding either my deeply held uh, spiritual ideas and beliefs 
um, and you know ideas like enlightenment and uh, grace and things like that were really true, or they were just baloney. And if they were baloney, I should be drinking more beer and sitting around and watching television <laughs> or whatever it was I wanted to do. And uh, I decided to, if not now, when with the time. And so I did walk away from everything, and I closed uh, bank accounts, and I really did divest myself of everything. I wanted not because I think there's anything wrong with uh, the every wonderful thing that I had and that I had created. I felt I could definitely create those again, but I needed to see if there was a place one could live where you really were an expression of deep in in my being could I be an expression of the peace that passes understanding and that was my journey which I was going to do for two years but after a year and a half it was so profound that I decided to do it for three and it's uh, been nearly four years now uh, and I having my answer I am moving back into the world and I'm thrilled to be here with you and you know one of the things that brought me to that was a health crisis that's what I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about because I, I love your language. You have such a, uh, for those of you that don't know, Lenedra is a poet and a uh, songwriter and a very uh, amazing artist uh, and writer, has many multiple talents. And uh, I love your use of poetic language. And so when you say that, you know, life conspired, like, oh, boy, do you want me to know more about that? So tell me, tell us all a little bit more about the health component to that conspiracy that you experienced? Well, I retired from managing Jewel after 11 years in 2003. And I thought that I would take a little time then to have a pause. That was a very busy and rewarding life and to see what else I might want to do. And then um, I, I had pressure from every area of my life uh, from I had a lot of personal difficulties that came right at that moment. I had I suffered some uh, personal losses that were that brought a lot of grief and were difficult to to uh, work through and to and to live in. As those of you who have uh, been in the grieving process, which is most of us, uh, know very well what that's like. I also mm-hmm. because of. Uh, the various problems and having just retired um, and at that moment some really severe health challenges appeared and then the combination of not being employed uh, being in a window where I just happened to be without one insurance and didn't have the new insurance yet Uh, so having large uh, health bills much that was being closed up and finished which meant uh, needed attorneys to handle and between the medical and the attorney bills, I began to have financial strain. Um, and uh, that was not good for my health either. So I had to think about whether not being able to just go roaring back into my capacity to really earn well, whether I, I would ignore that um, or heed my the call of my health. And my question was really answered because I couldn't, go roaring back in. I didn't have the health to do it. Right. Um, and so I worked with the level of healing and with doctors and, and so on um, for some time. And after I uh, had reached a certain point, which we can discuss, then I decided to go on, on the walkabout. It was a couple of years after that. Well, you know, we 
you just like named three other shows that we can do in the future in terms of grief and loss and what really happens to us when we make a decision to make a major transition when our life has been going in one direction so solidly for 11 years and then something tells us it's time to change and it's it's such a good and exciting thing but at the same time it can also bring about quite a lot of um, uh, you know challenges like you described in the midst of that some that are expected some that aren't and one of the things that we really bring to our listeners more than anything is skills and abilities to um, not just anticipate challenges, but how to move really fluidly when they show up. And mm-hmm. uh, I would love the chance to also speak into that with you a bit because I know from your writing and from who you are as a person that you are able to live from that abiding, uh, strong spiritual foundation of faith and peace and at the same time, you also know what it means to want to know in the midst of the not knowing um, when there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and, and doubt and fear that might be in the space. So, um, and I in that know, moment when yeah. when uh, really difficult health news is starting, you know, to come into us, or we we might be concerned there's something wrong. Perhaps we don't know yet what it is but uh, we just feel very off and we're in that process of trying to understand and, uh, and to receive the right diagnosis. Then uh, after we have the diagnosis is another type of period. And in, in both of those, I think one of, the, one of the most stressful things is not knowing how to proceed. And it's not a clear world, as uh, most of us know. The medical world is not you know, a place that we can go speak to the magic box uh, or be scanned by the magic box and have a clear diagnosis pop out with a good plan. And right at a time when one is has physically perhaps less energy, we have to call on some resource um, within us and in our support group so that we can really find the right diagnosis, the right treatment, the right team. It's not an easy thing at all. Mhm. Yeah, what is it that you have found really allows uh you allows women to uh find that still point. I I love Gail Sylvia speaks about that quiet still voice. Um that when we listen to it, I I refer to it as those those gentle nudges that whenever I listen to them, I'm always happy I did and there's many times when I don't listen to them that I end up regretting them. Uh, what is it that you found really supports the capacity to listen to that inner knowing and trusting it? Well, a, a topic of real interest to me, something that I'm writing quite a bit about right now, is the the opportunity in our lives to achieve a more direct knowing. And this is certainly intuition and learning to listen to and to interpret our our intuition and especially in the moment but it's also achieving a more direct connect with what i call the rest of me that is the the expanded self the part of me <clears throat> that is less focused on the uh having to make the dinner appointment at five o'clock um, but that through the, the quantum field that now we have more information about, I can be more connected 
And so I would say that's one of the, the first things is to understand that it's not just intuition, but that built in we are like an uh, an iceberg. Um, a small percentage of us is above the water, and the rest of us is uh, in the quantum and is powerful and wise. And while it's not available to us in the same wordy way that our word mind is, it is very available to us, speaks a different language to us. Um, but nonetheless, clearly, we can we can become very familiar and very intimate with that language. I like that a lot. And uh, I've spoken on previous shows about the use of uh, archetypal patterns to help uh, people understand their relationship with money. And it's they're the same patterns that show up in any aspect of our lives. And what you're speaking to that uh, helps people really tap into this is tapping into the archetypal uh, way of being that would be called more of the magician. And it's something that you really embody. And I you know, I love the language that you use in the book, Architecture of All Abundance, um, which really allows people to tap into their, their magician self, that bigger self, that part that's under the surface. And... Uh, the way I really see this in terms of the magician is that that flow, that sense of knowing in the moment uh, how to move without having it be from a thought place. Like, we've all experienced it, uh, where, you know, we, we reach for one thing and then our hand ends up reaching up for something else and this ends up being the perfect thing. Or we, we go a different route to a place we always go to and we see... Um, a shop that sells exactly what we needed to buy that morning that we'd even forgotten that we needed to get. And it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. And so it's wonderful little moments that uh, are so lovely in our lives when life seems to be effortless and just slow and, and that trust, that sense of resting in that trust. And, oh, I'm really, my environment really supports me. And what you're speaking to is recognizing and acknowledging that I can engage with my environment on a much deeper and broader level than I may have believed possible. And one of the things that happens is when those emotions come up with the uncertainty you were speaking about is those can often narrow and block our perspective and make us feel quite small and vulnerable. So uh, the more we can understand that we have access and capacity to other ways of connecting in, the better. Would, would you be willing to speak a little bit about how you applied some of this with uh, your your own health crisis that happened and um, when you decided, well, I really need to take this on? From a young age, I have seemed to have had an ability to, I would say, communicate with my body in not necessarily a mysterious way, but that was easier for me, it came it came naturally. It started when I was uh, quite young and frostbit my hands. And my, my mother took me out and tried to scrub my hands in the snow. And it hurt and I refused to let her. And she told me that's what doctors say you do. And I had a little bit of an eight-year-old or nine-year-old fit. And uh, in frustration, she said, well, all right, Miss Smarty Pants, then you tell me what to do. And something about that challenge and suggestion uh-huh. really struck me. And I thought, well, it's my body. And I should be able to say what to do. Um, it should tell me. And I sat on the couch looking looking at my hands, wanting to know what to do, then burning and hurting. And and I saw uh, little round things in there and understood that 
when they got froze, they got solid like anything else I knew. And then when you rubbed them, uh, they broke and then their liquid leaked out and that wasn't good. Um, and so I went to my mom and I told her that. And because she knew about cells, I didn't, it made a little bit of sense to her. And, and she thought, well, hmm. Um, and I said, well, I, I put my hands under my armpits, but then it started stinging. It's too hot, but I don't know what to do. And my mom said, well, let's put it in, in uh, just warm water and then make the water a little bit warmer and warmer, which I did. And it became kind of a family story. Well, what I learned there was uh, because my mother said that, and it was in one of those, you know, little tug-of-war parent-child okay. moments, a little heated emotional moment, it brought me to realizing something simple that I think if we all realize, we'll begin to dialogue with our bodies. Okay. Now, I know that that's inspiring, but not necessarily practical, because what do I really mean? Okay, so how do you talk to your body? You can sit down and say, all right, body, um, okay. and then not hear a thing. <laughs> right, 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 that's, exactly. That's and it doesn't like speak in the regular language. To happen. That's yeah. right, because yeah. it doesn't speak uh, regular language. So what I do is I hold a question, um, and I will find that from the what I you know would call my expanded self or my quantum self, um, maybe not in that moment, I take the pressure off because if I sit there going, I need to know, I need to know right now and why aren't I knowing? Uh, you know, that's what the mind does. It's just a little oh, puppy yeah. dog uh, chewing on a bone. And uh, and so I just tell myself, uh, you know, I'll come to know. And I I sit, I pose the question, I get in connection with my body and then I let the answer come when it comes. And it does, it always does. Sometimes the answer is in the form of a book that someone hands me, and I realize, wow, this is exactly what I was asking about. Um, this is my answer. It shows me what to do. Or mm-hmm. um, perhaps I'll see that information about uh, breast cancer is coming to me from every direction, and I might decide, you know, I think that I'll I'll just look into uh, seeing what's the right kind of examination uh, for me to take a, a look and just have a breast check. I haven't had one in a long time. So it can manifest in a lot of different ways, including some very direct information that feels almost like a voice to me. That is a really great example of what we can do to start to empower ourselves and trust that voice is to begin, even if you don't have a crisis, to to just start uh, having more of a conscious way of interacting with and listening to the body, and it's quite amazing what can happen with that, like um, slowing down um, when eating even and listening. I remember um, I went to meet somebody for a lunch meeting, and I went to a restaurant I'd never been to before that they recommended, and they put, I, I ordered a spinach salad, and they brought the plate, and they put it in front of me, and it was beautiful, and I had this immediate knowing not to eat it, and I pushed it aside. I was like, oh, you know, that's absurd. And, you know, this is a lovely restaurant. And I pushed it aside. And I ate the salad, enjoyed it. And I had the worst food poisoning I've ever had um, for two days afterwards. And um, 
I work with a really phenomenal uh, physician who also does energy healing from China, and I went to him just sick as a dog, and he looked at me and he just said, okay, when and where did you get this? And I was like, I don't know. He said, yes, you do. And there was a moment where he just like the (laughs) face cleared, my mind got quiet, I dropped in and I saw the salad. It was like a a picture had been uh, broadcast onto a screen. And I looked at him and I said, oh, yeah, I know exactly. And I told him and he laughed and he said, just so good to know that the connection's in place and that the, the information is coming to you. It's up to you whether you listen to it or not, you know? And it was like, oh, I got to <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yes, it's a wonderful story. That's exactly how it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, we, we and and it is, as he said, yeah, wonderful to, to know. The system's in place. Mm-hmm. The system is in place. And so it's just a matter of beginning to listen. And, you know, we say things like um, uh, if we uh, will have an intuitive warning and then if we don't heed it, uh, you know, it won't be uh, a small result, uh, a small uh, warning anymore. It'll be a two-by-four. But I also would say that we can trust our soul and we can trust our decisions. So it was at that moment as important, let's say, to your soul's curriculum for you to learn that the system is in place. And so the decision that you made, uh, you could say on the one hand, was a wrong decision because you had a bad result, you had food poisoning. But on the other hand, you could also say that you, in that moment, you chose right to learn what you you also deeply wanted and needed to know, which is the system is in place. Mm-hmm. So knowing that both of those things can be true, though they seem in dichotomous relationship with one another, mm-hmm. that both are true. It is true that you made a decision that led to a bad result, and we call that a failure um, or a wrong decision, But and and not listening. But you were also listening to something deeper that led you to... And it's really important knowing to someone who made sure that he asked the right question to you and pointed out the right thing. The system is in place. Oh, so, that's so well said. And I, I love how you said that the, we have been trained in terms of our to, to stop our learning, right? Like the moment we have a thought that, oh, I made a mistake and I failed and I shouldn't have done that, it actually shuts down the learning. But if it comes from a place of, oh, mistake, learn, and what was my learning in this, and, oh, okay, I see where the mistake happened, so how do I do it differently next time? It's a very different mood. It's a very different way of interacting and engaging with all of the the great opportunities that we have in life. And I love that you're able to have the, the juxtaposition of both and. And I think... Um, one of the greatest things that we can offer to people, especially as they're trying to navigate the health system, is we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves and um, on even those that are trying to work with us in terms of we need to figure out the right, perfect, only solution and get it right. And I think it's so much trial and error because <laughs> everybody's body is so different. Okay, I tried that treatment. didn't work. Okay, what's next? Like, could you speak a little bit about that? Because I have a sense that your trajectory was not very straightforward with your own healing. That's true. And to start, I, I want to go back to 
um, and, and just demonstrate how deep this is because we say um, mistake. And I'm not afraid to say I've made mistakes, but we, but the level at which we judge whether something was a mistake is the first thing we have to do is sort out if it was a mistake and, and oh, that was a mistake. And then um, what we should have done to avoid that mistake. And that's all the thing that you're talking about. That's all our deeply trained belief that we have to get it right. And yep. that need to get it right, which is so deeply implanted in us that um, I'm laughing about it constantly. That need to always get it right is really a frantic clenching and at safety, trying to find safety in a world that we also can tell is an unsafe world. So how can we be safe in an unsafe world? We have to make the unsafe world safe, right? Right. And and we're all feeling very tired of our attempts to do that <laughs> and suspecting that's not possible. And then we feel deeply unsafe. So what is the answer to that? And that's why I went out on that walkabout. There must oh, be so a deeper place. There must yeah, be a so deeper place. Safety must come from another source. If we're profoundly safe, what would that be? So I just want to point there and then to come back to saying that's why I don't, I, I neither make it a mistake or a not mistake. So I don't tell the story of how my decision was a mistake and I don't tell the story of how it, it wasn't a mistake. I just am in response to the wisdom. Then wisdom can speak to me. The wisdom of my body, the wisdom of life, the wisdom of my expanded self, the wisdom of the source I am. Then it can speak to me. But first I have to get past my judgment. And we judge ourselves and one another to within an inch of our lives. And it's all in things like this. I made a mistake. I asked a, a, a powerful, wonderful businessman friend of mine what he looked for in partners. And he said, I look first for people who have had big failures and who have oh. gone on. I like it when they've had more than one, he said, because that will be a person who understand who has the guts to make a mistake because if we don't have the guts to make a mistake we we can't really powerfully move forward in anything yeah and that was really impressive to me that, that was gave me a lot to think about and it changes it means a mistake is also a victory yeah so we can learn from our mistake but if we're getting all involved in mistake mistake don't make mistakes we're on the wrong track about it make mistakes <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, the word courage keeps coming up for me as you're speaking, and the root of that word is, you know, courage is the wisdom of the heart, and having the courage to go out there and um, be willing to make mistakes, to be willing to not get it right and to stumble and to keep getting up, having that courage is really trusting and following that inner wisdom as well, that there is there's something else here for me 
that's more important than staying in my perceived sense of safety that can keep me quite trapped and small and not feeling very effective. And when we have these health crises, that that is a time when we have to, you know, call forth courage from ourselves. Uh, Probably often even courage we didn't know existed or we don't at the time know exists. But just to put one foot in front of another, um, to move ahead, feeling the fear takes is is the courage itself. Mm-hmm. And with my uh, health crisis, it began with uh, it began a couple of years before it was fully apparent with a, a tooth abscess that I had that I didn't know I had because I I also happened to have genetically a very high pain tolerance. So I had an abscess that went untreated, maybe even for a couple of years. The dentist said that was a, a, a small one and worsened and um, and it became systemic and ultimately caused what the, my doctor called a medically induced or a medically created depression because it threw off my endocrine system and my all of my uh, chemistry and I had a, a kind of depression where I didn't really know I was depressed because my my brain was those centers that recognized those things were also affected. And because it was prolonged and went on, and then I had to have antibiotics for a very long time, and these things uh, they think are what caused the development of a kind of rather serious arrhythmia. And I began to have the heart problems that I mentioned to you. Oh, and during yeah. that period... I can look at, you know, I can think of it as a scary and wrong and bad thing happening to me, but but as I look at it, I can I can see at each place the many things that were part of it and that were at play, and I'm so well and healthy now, um and that process of healing was was a very important one to me, and I healed well. And so if I tell myself over and over the scary story of the development of my illness, I will still feel extremely vulnerable. If I lie to myself or be in denial about it, I will still feel very vulnerable. So what do we do about those things while they're happening and Mm -hmm. after they're over when we might be worrying about um, reoccurrences and those types of things. What do we do? And something that I draw on to get, I think, getting the story to myself is really vital. Um, and uh, one of the things that I draw on is that I I heard of uh, an East Coast, uh, I believe, tribe of American Indians who after each battle told the story of their victory especially when they had lost the battle. And at first I thought, well, they're just lying to themselves. They're just in denial and they just are making themselves feel like they won. But as I uh, deeply sat with that, I began to understand that what they did was after each battle, uh, especially the ones that they lost, they would sit around the fire together and they would tell of each victory that occurred during that battle and they weren't just talking about we lost the battle they were talking they would say um, I saw uh, Eagle Feather jump off of his horse and save the life of of so and so um, I saw that when um, you know when my, my brother uh, took the arrow 
um, he he went to the place one should go in themselves to meet their death. And when you think of it, in everything are so many victories. The victory oh. of uh, of the person who, in in the situation I told you, I met someone I hadn't seen in a long time. I said, "How are you?" and "How's your wife?" And he said, "You know, she had she almost died. She just came home yesterday and." Uh, and only last week, the children and I called up on the bed with her to tell her goodbye. She had a, a tooth infection. And then he described my situation exactly. And suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, that's what's going on with me. And I went to a dentist. Oh. The chances of having met him and of you know meeting someone who <laughs> whose loved one had gone through what I didn't know I was going through and then the chances of him actually telling me that instead of all the other things we might say to each other. Um, well, you know, what a victory of life that was instead of just what a scary bad thing was happening to me. That's that so, interconnected, that, that's that quantum field. It's that we are so supported and, 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 and when we keep moving forward with the not knowing, in the face of the fear, knowing that there is something that can support us in our healing as we stumble and keep taking steps forward, being aware and alert and awake to hear and listen and see does um, those valuable like little nuggets of information and data that are coming to us to support us. That is so powerful. Yeah, and whenever you have that experience of, oh, what are the chances of that? It's like, oh, let me pay attention. Let me not ignore this. Let me see what's here for me. That's really, really brilliant. My gosh. Yes. And it starts went, and by knowing it's went, in place. You went, you went to a dentist that understood what you were describing. I had a sense that a lot of dentists would have looked at you and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, like, I had uh, the x-ray revealed I had a galloping abscess. Um, <laughs> and so I think that diagnosis was fairly easy for him, and and then uh, the, you know, the the path to trying to get rid of that very in, entrenched infection was not an easy one, and when I did then begin to and also, um, my my whole I was making almost no hormones, so I had to get my entire hormone system balanced, which took some time too. Then I didn't realize that arrhythmia had developed. And I had an experience, I won't tell another similar story, but I had a, another similar experience in which um, that got me to the doctor uh, thinking I, I must have a strep infection um, in which it was discovered that I had a bad arrhythmia. And the, the doctor came in with uh, to hook me up to all these machines and things and um, and said, you don't have strep or flu. Uh, you have uh, a very concerning arrhythmia. And I said to him, well, can't I have the, the flu or strep that I thought I came for instead? <laughs> and like that then brought me, yeah, yeah uh, that brought me in, uh, you know, in to Western medicine again for a diagnosis that I, I needed. Then uh, I was with a, a wonderful cardiologist. I was put on Coumadin, uh, you know, a so-called blood thinner, um, and this was a you know considered a, a serious situation, and we had a plan for it. And um, and I was told to, that taking the Coumadin, I needed to not eat vegetables, not eat greens. And oh when I, yeah, and you had to really I, uh, rigorously 
crack that drug too, yeah. right? Like you have to have it just right, right, the right amount. Yeah. It's not, oh, yeah. It's, Coumadin is very hard to manage. And if you eat a lot of greens, they told me, um, it thins your blood and and then that throws the Coumadin off. Managing the Coumadin was sort of, in my opinion, very, well, kind of a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, it just really yeah. takes a lot of your time and attention. So I said, why can't I just eat more greens? Um, and they said, no. Oh, yeah, because if they, thin your blood, if they thin your blood too, yes. like, why not do that? <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh. And, uh, and, and then, you know, it was, uh, you know, the doctor said, no, you must take this medication. But when I went away and I continued a while more with the Coumadin and, um, and I thought about the greens and I really felt, and, you know, this is a, a difficult moment to go against a doctor's advice, but I really felt I should try decreasing my Coumadin a little and increasing my greens. And I, began to do that. I had asked the doctor for permission to, and he was, well, quite scary, actually. He he was very adamant. And so I don't in any way want to tell anyone to go against their doctor's advice because you have to really work with that in the time. That's that's tricky. And mm-hmm. I also have been greatly benefited by Western medicine. In this case, though, um, the greens began to work much better for me than the Coumadin did, and I stayed very closely in touch with my local doctor, um, having the tests, the blood tests, very frequently that mm-hmm. one needs to see how the Coumadin is to uh, watch, and ultimately went off of the Coumadin. Um, and uh, my doctor, my cardiologist, fired me, uh, but yep. I had a much better result. Um, and I did. I was still working with my local doctor. The cardiologist was very opposed, but my local doctor did help me with those blood tests and things, so that I could keep an eye on what was going on. So again, it was yeah, not easy. It's really well said, and um, I want to stop here because I'm sure that what you're saying may be evoking things for some of our listeners. So I want to know that if you are hearing this and you want to call in live, you can call us at three four seven. 215-6138. You can do hashtag Wealth Psychology on Twitter, and you can also email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com and put Wealth Psychology in the subject line, and all of those questions will get to us while we're on this show and after as well. We will definitely respond um, on the Facebook page if uh, we don't get to your question while we're on the air. And um, I really love that we're opening up this conversation to uh, navigating. At this day and age, we have so much access to so much information about complementary, alternative, different forms of care for our health and our healing. And uh, when you say Western medicine, you're speaking very specifically about what some people call allopathic medicine, about people that have gone to medical schools, that have been trained in um, how to diagnose and really, um, from a very scientific perspective, know what the illnesses are that we're dealing with. And that system in and of itself is becoming, uh, it's just evolving very rapidly and getting the data as much as it can, and yet it has a hard time keeping up with itself. Um, Two instances that I'm definitely aware of, um, one how do you go about uh, the best way of preventatively um, 
checking women's breasts and making sure that we don't have breast cancer or catching it as soon as possible. And the other is uh, prostate exams and what is the desired best right protocol for men in understanding whether what the extent is of their prostate health. And there's so much contradictory information out there in terms of both of these. And these are both cancers that are very disconcerting and um, important for us to be aware of. And, you know, I'm thinking about from the time I was young, um, as a young woman, I was told as soon as I became sexually active, I needed to start having a pap smear every year to make sure that I I could prevent cervical cancer. And now we've evolved to having a vaccine for a virus that they found out causes it. And part of my body goes, oh, no, no, that's not true. I just need to keep getting the pap smear. But to allow for, oh, this has evolved and how important this is, and to protect ourselves from ever even having to worry about that can happen through a vaccine is amazing. And then people go to the place of, well, are there side effects from the vaccine? And how do I know about that? And if it's so new, how do we... So it's this constant opening to getting the data and what is really the best right thing. So one thing I want to say, first and foremost, from everything you've just said, is... Definitely get the diagnostic. And if you don't trust one diagnostic, find out another one that you do trust and get it. So I would say any woman who's uh, 40 or over, a breast exam every year is an absolute must. And this is um, October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It is we're coming to the end of the month, but my goodness, do we need to be aware of this for our, our sweet bodies and our internal health? And uh, one of the things that uh, Jamie, who couldn't be on the call today, really wanted everybody to hear and be aware of is that um, uh, mammograms do not necessarily diagnose well 40% of the time if you have something called dense breath. And there's a great website that she uh, wanted to recommend to all of our listeners called rudense.org which gives a lot of education about how to educate and work with your doctors. And Jamie's passionate about this. Her maternal grandmother died before she was 50 of breast cancer. And so she has been very rigorous about her breast health and has gone and gotten mammograms, and nobody has ever told her that she had dense breast syndrome, which meant that her mammograms may not have actually been tracking her as well as they could have. And here she was being very passionate and proactive about her breast health. And I think a lot of women uh, either, well, you know, I don't have any issues, I don't have any lumps, or that sense of denial uh, or not wanting to go there because I don't, I don't want to get a scary result can often keep us from taking proactive action. And uh, it's very important not to let those emotions stop us. That's more of um, the archetypes of the innocent or the fool would avoid getting a proactive exam, and uh, we would encourage the warrior, the creator artist to come forward, and it's like, well, if I'm not comfortable getting a mammogram, and I don't believe it's good and wise for me to have that radiation on my breast. Wow, well, lucky us. We've got 3D imaging that we can use. We have um, infrared that we can use. We have this array of possible diagnostic tools that the medical profession has uh, brought to us. 
And then it's what do we do once we have that data? And it sounds like what you're saying, Lenedra, is uh, when we do have a diagnosis, when there is uncertainty, to expand out to not only listening and using what the Western medical doctors would say, but also expanding out in terms of complementary um, or what some people might call alternatives. And I like complementary because you worked in conjunction with medical doctors that understood there might be other approaches towards your own healing um, from something as simple as eating more of a vegetable that they told you to eat less of. So could you speak more about complementary um, treatments, complementary ways of approaching health while um, working with medical doctors? I also wanted to say that I went to the website areudense.org and it's a whole new concept and understanding for me. And it, uh, looking at it, I thought, um, as it mentioned, the breasts change uh, also as you age. There, there might be circumstances that increase density. And uh, it answered a question that I had, and I had been um, wanting to to have uh, more of concern for my breast health, but had been very confused about how to how to proceed, knowing that uh, mammograms are now not always the best tool. But I didn't have information, and I found this site very good for that. So I do recommend to listeners that you understand this matter of breast density. And it's the thing that uh, will now give me the direction that I need to move into the Western system and to ask for something to help me understand at my age now what my how I'll proceed about that and take care in that area. So I, I recommend uh, the, that website. But yes, I really have gained tremendously by adding the complementary or alternative means. Sometimes uh, it's more alternative and uh, and less in conjunction with allopathic medicine. Sometimes it's more allopathic medicine. Sometimes it's really a combination of both and using both of those and Chinese medicine and, and other understandings has been what has helped me maintain health with perhaps not the best genetic inheritance in the world. I really, mm-hmm. my mother's body myself is, is what would apply to me. So with uh, the the story that I was telling, I really did use some wonderful endocrinologists as well as a really wonderful uh, natural practitioner to balance my hormone system. It took both. I, with, because of my interest in alternative medicines, um, and my work with the natural practitioner, I asked the doctor for different kinds of things. And it it also made a difference in my choice of endocrinologist. So I chose endocrinologists who were more open, who knew things about some of the complementary treatments as well, and who were willing to talk to me about that. And that because of that, I had a wonderful endocrinologist, and we were able to work in the best way uh, for my concerns and my needs at the time. That's how I, I like to work. You mentioned um, going to uh, someone you know, with Chinese medicine when you had the, the salad uh, poison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, and you know that was a wonderful modality for you to bring in that that type of medicine is a wonderful adjunct to healing. So I don't think of it as something complementary to Western. I'm sure you don't either, but uh, things that are uh, complementary to my healing and to my health. Yeah, it's such an important part of it. And um, I like what you said, that it's really important to have a physician that you're working with that um, allows and encourages you to trust your guidance and really um, empowers that warrior within you to get and find the right path to your own personal healing and won't necessarily make you wrong. And, you know, it was interesting how you said your cardiologist fired you. In a sense, you were saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going by your specific plan, but that doesn't mean that another cardiologist wouldn't have said, oh, this is fascinating. Yes. I want to know how many greens you're eating. I want to know how, you know, to, to be in that expansive place of, you know, there's so little that we know. And the fact that you talked about the endocrinologist is so valuable for any woman listening to this show because our hormones are a complete mystery to the medical profession. And every endocrinologist you go to may have a different approach to it. And developing and trusting our connection to that other part of ourselves, to that inner knowing, that, that still quiet voice that says, you know, I trust this doctor to this degree in terms of diagnosing me that I'm feeling myself not being honored by this doctor the way that I want to be. Maybe I can find another doctor um, and start to really have clarity about what I want in the doctor and the healer I'm working with. And I want to shift because we have a question and I just found out that we have Gail Sylvia joining us. So welcome, Gail Sylvia. This is such a surprise and delight. How wonderful. It's really exciting to be listening to the conversation. I couldn't stand myself to stand it any longer. I thought I needed to jump in. I also am on the other end of the technology, and there have been quite a few emails and texts coming through. So I want to share some of those while there's still a few moments, um, if you don't mind, Emily. Oh, we'd be thrilled. And, and we want to say right now, if we aren't able to get to all of them, we will answer them online at um, the Facebook page for Sylvia Global. One of the questions that um, I have, and it, it's very similar to some that have come over, is, you know, Lenetra, how, how, how do you suggest a female or anyone overcome the fear of authority that's associated with questioning their physician? Probably obstinacy. (laughs) (laughs) Developing a little necessary grain of obstinacy. Um, Yes, that's that's just such a wonderful question. The answer uh, is, in the moment, I have to realize I'm feeling quite intimidated. And while I'm feeling intimidated, it means my voice will shake, means that I'm doubting myself. Um, I have a great deal of hesitancy. I won't be able to think of the right questions because that's what happens when you uh, feel intimidated. And and yet I'm going to go ahead anyway. I'm going to, with my shaky voice, um, with my fuzzy feeling of confusion, not knowing what to ask, uh, I'm going to go ahead anyway and ask the questions. And uh, I know that all of us have sat in front of doctors who, when you ask questions, are very impatient and uh, or worse, 
uh, about that, and I've certainly had that experience. And there's just a little stubborn, uh, little obstinate uh, child. You know, children are wonder are, are frustratingly obstinate, but wonderfully so also when they think they're right. Um, and and so I just call on that place in me um, to keep proceeding regardless of the the fact that the person, the doctor or whomever, might continue to be upset, to give uh, body language and looks and tone that uh, would continue to intimidate me. So proceed. Yeah, and that's really well said. And um, what I would add to that is um, I think from all my years of studying uh, the martial art Aikido, is yeah. I've learned the, the power of blending with a very strong force coming at me when I don't necessarily agree with it. And I work, with my, I work with my clients on this, so um, I will often do things that will disarm a physician that comes at me really strongly. I, had, I was with um, my doctor the other day, and he came in kind of full force, and I was feeling really vulnerable already. And the first thing I did was I asked him how he was. And he stopped me and he looked and I said, he said, why are you asking me that? And I said, well, it's really late. I know you just went through and worked on at least eight emergencies at the hospital because I've been listening as the, the nurses had to keep postponing my appointment for these other emergencies. I wonder how you are and, you know, the, the, how, how is your day going? And so there's a way of connecting person to person and, you know, everything about him just softened. And then the other is if you're being hit by something that's just too much for you to take in or you're feeling flooded or intimidated, being able to speak that, it's a hugely vulnerable place to go, but it's actually really good information for the doctor. And if you can take a breath into all that fear and everything that Lynedra said, that fuzzy feeling, that, that shaky voice, and take a breath in and say, look straight at the doctor and say, wow, I know that this isn't your intention, that you really want the best for me and you have my health foremost in your mind and I'm feeling really intimidated and um, even a bit frightened by what's happening here and I'd like to change that. Would it be possible to shift it or um, what can help us move more effectively together uh, so that I can be able to take in your information and the value you want to give me and I can feel more honored in terms of my questions and what I need to have help with and understanding. That's very well said, Emily. And and one other thing I would add is now I make all of my choices by doctors sorting for someone who won't discount from the beginning uh, information. And so in my interviewing of a new doctor, I present information in a way um, to understand how open they are to my own instincts about it. And you can see fairly quickly in the beginning with a doctor whether they're open to, and this is very female language that we use, um, well, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I have noticed this and I have noticed that. I'm concerned, is this part of it or is that per, you know not important to what we're talking about? And some doctors are quite open to that style of discovery and others are not. And I find I don't do as well with doctors that are not open to that type of questioning and to receiving my information. So the endocrinologist oh, yeah. had the idea that, um, that 
he said, I'm glad to have you as a patient because from the things that you have said, I can tell that you have a good ability to give me information about your body. And you're really the person who who knows what I need to know. I almost cried. This, this is great. Oh my god. That's what gosh, we're looking for. Met like should that. be looking that's, for. That's where healing can happen. Yeah. Wow. Gail Sylvia, thank you for bringing that question to the foreground. This such yeah, a rich you're conversation. Welcome. You're welcome. I think that there's another um some additional information though that the listeners can benefit from. In order to respond in the way that you just described, Emily, and similar in some ways to what Lynetra just described, there's an amount of strength internally that's required. And we're all not always at our best place or our strongest if we're if it's necessary for us to go and get medical help. And so being able to put into practice in small amounts every day some of the tips that you just provided is a way of assuring that we have those resources and those abilities um, fresh at an instant when we're put in a circumstance. Because your example, Emily, of being able to say to a physician, you know, well, how was your day? Uh, you know, you cannot go in and feel overwhelmed and stressed and tired yourself because the reality for a lot of women, especially because we juggle so many things, so many roles, caring for so many people in our lives, that we're hoping that within that that 15 minutes of face-to-face time with a healer physician, that they'll be attuned to what we're needing. But in that circumstance, in order to diffuse the situation, you're actually requiring um, us to be at a place where we can recognize what they need. And that in being able to recognize what the physician needs, then it can ultimately, ideally, um, make for a gentler, smoother um, conversation that has the kind of results that Lenedra was describing. So what I have personally found is that when I'm not um, at my strongest or my healthiest or at my best and able to diffuse the situation in that manner, sometimes internally um, I end up handling it a variety of ways. I get quiet. I look at them. I might have a conversation with Jesus inside my heart. And there have been moments where I have simply just said, um, and it has taken the force of, like, lifting two left feet, you know, internally, um, and said, oh. you know, this, this is not going to work. You know, I, I get, my, get my purse, and I leave the office, and they come down the hall and go, excuse me, ma'am, are you, are you leaving? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> they can't believe that <laughs> yeah, someone would can, have the audacity to walk out the room because I think we have to also recognize our own strength within ourselves that yeah. we um, that that speaks to our value, our purpose, oh, and listen to our own we voice. Have, we have 60 seconds left. This is amazing. <laughs> and I love that it's you can vote with your, definitely vote with your two feet. Totally. If you're not happy, <laughs> you can move. So we want to make sure that you get the um, evocative question um, what aspect of your physical health needs attention? Remember, nobody, nobody. So make sure that you have on your calendar every year when you're going to have your annual exam 
whatever it is that you need to do. And definitely go to areyoudense.com and lenedracarroll.com to learn more about Lenedra and your journey. Thank you so much, Lenedra. We have to have you back. No question about it. Oh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for this wonderful conversation and information. It's been really terrific. We are really grateful. <laughs> 